No Junk Mail presents The Trading Post, narrated by the author James R. Von Felt. Chapter 13, Day 9. Morning in deep forest is gloomy. You wake up because it's morning, because a thing in your head says it's time to get up, or because a strange sound wakes you. All of a sudden, you're awake. In this camp, it seemed like everyone woke up and started doing things at the same time. No one was telling anyone what to do, but they were all busy. The Indians packed the deer skins on some horses. They stacked the skins and secured them so they wouldn't fall off. Longhair and his assistants prepared his medicine, and they treated Daryl and Alex. Others prepared food for everybody, cutting up meat and boiling it in a pot. It smelled real good. By the time Longhair was done treating Alex and Daryl, the food was ready. All the Indians came into the circle, talking as they ate. Billy and I were given pancakes, meat, and broth for us, Alex, and Daryl. We broke a little bit off the cakes and dipped it in the broth, then fed Daryl. Alex could use one hand, so he fed himself, but he didn't eat much. Billy found a wooden spoon at the cook fire and fed broth to Daryl. He told Daryl and Alex what had happened to us. When we left them at the camp, how we were caught by the Indians, how we returned to the camp and how we carried them to the Indian camp. Then Daryl went back to sleep. I asked Alex how he felt and he replied slowly and tiredly, Not good. Hurts a lot. Billy wanted to know if he could walk. Alex replied that he didn't think he could go very far. Billy wanted him to try to get up, but when Alex moved, Longhair appeared beside him. Longhair said something and gestured to Alex to lie down. Alex obeyed. Longhair got Alex water, and he drank and drank and drank. You sure are thirsty, Billy said. Yeah, Alex replied. We could tell the camp was almost ready to leave. Now what, Billy whispered to me. He pointed to the deer carcasses tied to the pack horses. They're getting ready to go. What are they going to do with us? I don't know, I replied. Maybe they'll leave us here, but if they do... We got a problem trying to take Alex and Daryl back to our camp. And if they don't, I didn't get to finish. Grayhair stood over us and said something, gesturing towards the horses. I couldn't make out what he said or wanted. Then two Indians brought a horse skid next to Daryl and another next to Alex. A horse skid is like a stretcher, only it's made of longer and wider poles. The poles are a bit thicker, too. The front ends fit into a harness hung over the horse's back. The Indians had already made a bed of deer skins on the skids. The idea of a skid is to carry things behind a horse, like a wagon, only it doesn't have wheels. It was clear that we're going with the Indians. They weren't going to leave us there. They lifted Alex, still on the stretcher we had made back at our camp, and placed him on the skid. They tied it down so he wouldn't fall off. When they lifted Daryl, he woke up, so Billy told him what was going on. The Indians picked up the fronts of the skids, 
put the harnesses on the skids, then hung them over the horse's back. I found the rifle and gave it to Alex to carry. Billy and I both had our spears and fighting knives. Scouts went out, running ahead of the group. Grayhair and three other Indians with headbands were riding horses. Everyone else led a pack horse or walked. We counted 17 Indians in all. One by one, the horses left the camp. Grayhair's horse was first. Longhair rode right behind him. We were in the middle of the procession, horses piled high with deer skins and deer carcasses. A horse rider brought up the rear. I counted two rifles tied on horses and one slung across Grayhair's back. Almost all of the Indians had a bow slung over their shoulders. Occasionally we saw a scout run back to the procession. He always walked alongside Grayhair and talked. When they finished talking, he would turn and run ahead again. Billy walked alongside Daryl and I walked by Alex. The procession traveled quietly for hours. We were on what looked like an animal trail. We didn't stop for rest. As far as I could tell, we're going north. Daryl and Alex slept most of the time. Sometime around midday, an Indian brought everyone a piece of dried meat to chew on. It was salty, but good. We kept moving. Both Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens were in the general direction we were going. We had heard stories about this area and knew it had lots of wildlife, including cougars, elk, moose, and grizzly bears. Grizzly bears are so big, tough, and mean that nothing, not even a cougar, messes with them. We had even heard stories that wild Indians lived in these parts, but the Indians we were with weren't wild. I don't know how far we'd gone, but I guess we were making three or four miles per hour. It was hard to tell, because we're not going in a straight line. We're going up hills, around ponds, and through marshes. When you travel this way, you could be walking 20 miles to get five miles closer to your destination. As it was getting dark, we went up a steep slope. There was a plateau at the top. Must have been about 200 feet across with a few small trees here and there. It was easy to see that they had used this place before as a camp. This was going to be our camp for the night. The Indians drew the horses into the center in a close circle, then unloaded them and tied them to horse rails that were already there. Then they unhitched the horse skids and carried Alex and Daryl on their stretchers to the side of an all-night fire. Fire pits and piles of wood were located all around the perimeter of the camp. The scouts who had been sent ahead had already done a lot of work, getting everything ready. By the time we arrived, I was tired and worn out, ready to stop for the night. The Indians used flint and steel to start fires around the camp, seven in all. It was clear from the stacks of wood that the fires would be going all night. The horses, skins, and deer carcasses would draw the attention of hungry bears, cougars, or wolves for sure. It looked like Indians were setting up a defense around the clearing and would be on watch all night. Billy and I helped find firewood till it was too dark to see in the woods close by. 
As soon as Longhair's medicine was hot, he and his assistants cleaned and redressed Daryl and Alec's wounds. Then everybody sat in a circle and ate and talked. We were given more pancakes, which had been made that morning along with strips of dried meat. Billy sat next to Daryl, and I sat next to Alex, so we could help them eat. Alex was doing pretty good feeding himself, but Daryl's shoulder and arm still hurt a lot, and he couldn't move them much. After we ate, Billy and I traded places so I could talk to Daryl and Billy could talk to Alex. We weren't sitting far apart, but the camp was not noisy, and we didn't want to yell at each other. After a short talk, Daryl fell asleep. Billy came over to where I was. He said Daryl had wakened several times during the trip to the new campsite. He'd asked Billy about Enu and Philip and seemed to be doing better. I told Billy I was a little worried about Alex because it seemed like all he did was sleep. And when he was awake, he didn't remember much other than being on the raft. It was dark and soon enough we dozed off. As I settled down for the night, I could see some of the Indians sleeping close to the horses and some others sleeping close to the deer carcasses. Seemed like they were guarding them. Didn't take me long to fall asleep. I was more tired than I thought. Billy and I had not slept much the night before. In the middle of the night, I was awakened by wolves howling. I looked at Billy and saw his eyes blinking too. He'd heard the wolves. There was so much howling it sounded like more than one wolf pack. Maybe they had broken into smaller groups, I thought. The howls were a long ways away, but they wakened everybody in the camp. The Indians got up and were busy doing things around the camp now. Each of the Indians had bows and arrows close at hand. They seemed to be checking them over to make sure they were in good working order. Instinctively, I grabbed my spear and pointed it outward. They also built up the fires. We had plenty of woods to keep the fires going. Occasionally, an Indian picked up a small piece of burning wood, waved it over his head and danced around, hollering and leaping like he was fighting something in the dark. It was a strange dance, to be sure. Maybe it scared the wolves away, I didn't know. The horses were moving around, too, and made nervous noises at the center of the camp. They seemed to sense danger. A few Indians were trying to calm them down. Somehow, I dozed off again. The next time I woke up, the howls were much closer. I sat up ready for anything. My spear pointed towards the darkness. Suddenly, the Indians cried out and pointed at several places in the darkness. They had spotted some wolves moving around the camp circle. They were out of sight except for their glowing eyes. Then a lone wolf tried to sneak into the circle to get to the deer meat. Several Indians saw him and jumped up with flaming sticks to stop him. He ran off. Now everyone was on alert. An Indian at each fire moved in front of that fire. You can't see far into the dark from behind a fire because it's too bright. If you stand in front of the fire, your eyes adjust, and you can see into the dark a long ways. Not long after that, several wolves in a pack ran as fast as they could around our camp, maybe 50 feet away. There were a lot of them. 
They ran in one direction, then changed direction and ran the other way, round the camp. Looked to me like they're trying to find an easy way to get to the deer meat. Billy and I were on high alert, and we were nervous. I remembered the wolves that tried to bust into Inu's cabin, and this made me even more anxious. The Indians seemed like all this was normal. Maybe it was for them. However, it was the first time for Billy and me, and we didn't know what was going to happen. It was obvious that the wolves wanted a way into the circle where we had the horses and deer carcasses. Sure enough, three wolves made a move right up to the fires. They were met by arrows from two sides and retreated with yelps. Two had been hit. At almost the same time, five wolves tried the same thing on the other side of the clearing. They were met with a flurry of arrows. They ran off, yelping in pain. The howling was going on all the time and getting louder. Out in the darkness, I saw glowing eyes reflecting the light from our fires. Sometimes I thought I saw a wolf's rush towards where I was standing, but they didn't run in straight lines, and none came close to me. Occasionally, when the Indians thought the wolves were too close, they hurtled burning sticks at them. That scattered them, and they ran away for a while, yet they were back soon enough. The wolves kept this up till almost dawn. As we watched through the night, it seemed that the Indians knew just what to do and when to do it. No one was directing anything. I guess they had expected the wolf attacks and had been ready for them. Finally, we could hear the wolves retreating. We started to relax because we thought the attacks were over. Then, like a shot, a lone wolf came streaking into camp. He jumped right over our fire and knocked Billy sprawling. Two nearby Indians scattered, running into the camp circle after the wolf. Another Indian ran up to the fire, his bow drawn and arrow poised as if to expect another wolf to follow. A couple more Indians grabbed fire sticks and stood watching for more wolves. The Indians in the center of the circle were running around the horses. I saw glimpses of Indians with their knives in their hands, chasing the wolf. I grabbed my spear and rushed to Billy's side. I pointed my spear outward in case more wolves tried to come in. Billy sat up. He wasn't hurt. His eyes were open wide in surprise. He stared into the circle, and he pointed his spear towards where the wolf disappeared. We couldn't see anything but confusion. The horses were upset. They were tied up so they couldn't run away, but they're moving around and kicking and whinnying. We could see lots of motion in the inner circle as the Indians were running this way and that, and there was lots of motion outside the circle as Indians were waving flaming sticks and hollering to discourage any more attacks. Billy was shaking his head when we saw the wolf running out of the circle with a large chunk of meat in its mouth. It was running straight towards us. It looked huge and was moving fast. Billy was a step ahead of me and aimed his spear. The wolf was running full out and looked like it was going to jump over the fire again to get back out. Billy waited till the last second, then threw the spear with all he had. The spear hit its mark right below the wolf's neck. The momentum of the wolf carried him to the side of our fire and 20 feet in front of us. Two Indians, knives drawn, were in hot pursuit. When the wolf fell, they were on top of it in a split second and killed it. 
Billy and I were stunned by the sudden rush of the wolf and the Indians. That was the last of the raids that night. Though we heard the wolves howl till daylight, we were wide awake and stayed on alert just in case. Billy couldn't stop talking. He was jabbering like a magpie. He kept talking about the wolf attack. When the sun finally came up, long shadows appeared all around us in the woods. We could see some Indians moving around the camp and in the woods. Grayhair was sitting in a circle with five other Indians talking. We noticed that no one else was as excited as we were, so we assumed that what we had just gone through was not unusual for the Indians. They seemed to be taking it all for granted. Eventually, we began to calm down. We talked quietly and turned our minds to other things. We each tried out ideas on how we would get back home. We were leaving a trail that would be easy to follow, so why hadn't Philip and Looney caught up to us? And where was Enu? Was he even alive? Should we continue to travel with the Indians or try to run away? If we headed out on our own, would the wolves attack us? And what about cougars or bears? And food? How would Daryl and Alex get their wounds treated? Talk, talk, talk. But we were not getting anywhere. We had lots of questions, but no good answers. Eventually, we agreed to go on with the Indians, since we didn't know what else to do, and since they were treating Daryl and Alex. Longhair's treatments were helping, and Daryl seemed to have bounced back some. He was awake, alert, and talking, but he was still a long way from healed. Alex, however, didn't seem to be that much better. We figured that Alex and Daryl couldn't walk far on their own if we decided to leave, so here we were with the Indians, a day away from the lake, Philip, Looney, and Enu. We weren't on our way home, that was for sure. Story continued on Chapter 14.